0: This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual. Episode number one, Doug Wilson. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting coaches and parents who help our children succeed on and off the field. Each episode, our host, Jim Thompson, Executive Director of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by some of the most influential players and coaches to share their thoughts and experiences with responsible coaching and responsible sports parenting. On this episode, Jim welcomes Doug Wilson.
1: I love to see a player make a mistake on the ice in the first, first shift of the game or something bad happened and see how he reacts to it.
0: Doug is a former NHL all-star defenseman for the Chicago Blackhawks and current general manager for the NHL San Jose Sharks. In this responsible sport conversation, Jim talks to Doug about the elm tree of mastery, where parents and coaches encourage young athletes to focus on three main principles, effort, learning, and bouncing back from mistakes. Funding for this program has been generously provided by Liberty Mutual. Responsibility. What's your policy?
2: This is Jim Thompson with Positive Coaching Alliance, and I'm here with Doug Wilson, the general manager of the San Jose Sharks and an eight-time NHL All-Star. Doug, thanks for joining us.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure.
2: Um, Doug, you were, um, you were one of the top defensive players in uh, the NHL when you played for the Blackhawks, and even won the, the Norris Trophy as the top defenseman of the year. Um, nonetheless, once in a while, somebody got lucky and scored a goal against you. How, how did you how did you bounce back and get your head back in the game when an opponent scored a goal against you?
1: Well, first of all, it was more than once in a while. Was, uh, hockey is a game of mistakes, like most uh, most athletic sports are, and um, uh, the preparation that you put into the game is uh, you know the mental aspect of it, anyhow. And you always try to visualize good things happening, but you also have to be prepared when something bad happens um, to say, you know what, that's just part of the game, and go forward. So I think it was the understanding that uh, uh, hockey is a game of mistakes. You can't be afraid of failure and just uh, understand that all you can do is control the next shift and uh, the next couple of minutes in your game. And it was something that I'd, I'd learned, I think, from growing up with my family and participating in, in many other sports and watching other people handle not only success, but uh, the failures that come along the way.
2: Did, did, you, did you actually visualize uh, before games?
1: Oh, absolutely. Before I went to every game, uh, I had a, uh, a tape that I'd put together, just a four or five simple plays, so that I had positive thoughts in my mind before I went to the game every day. And it was, uh, I tried to remove all the clutter from my mind and just kind of read and react and play, but have positive thoughts before I went into the game.
2: Wow. Positive Coach Alliance has this concept of the Elm Tree of Mastery. Uh, e for effort, L for learning, M for mistakes, bouncing back from mistakes, How do you think youth coaches should deal with players who make mistakes?
1: Well, I think it depends on the type of mistakes. You know, if it's a mistake through laziness or through cheating, uh, meaning cutting corners, uh, I think you have to address that in a different way than you do an honest mistake. And uh, I think the, you know, we feel that young people learn, uh, one, through talking about it, then through seeing it, and then through repetition. And in our sport, it's just a repetition of doing things properly and trying to create good habits. Now, if somebody... Um, does not put the work or time into it, especially if you're on a, uh, a team, then you've got an issue that you have to address that. But I, I do think you have to acknowledge uh, if the player has been brought up the right way and the parents and the coaches have been uh, um, I think, consistent with the approach, usually the player knows when he's made a mistake before anybody else. And he can take that and use that as a learning experience not only for that person, but a teaching experience for them and for the teammates also.
2: You know, we, we, have, we have a concept we call uh, a teachable spirit, um, you know, no matter what happens to try to learn something from it. Um, I'm curious, um, when you look at scouting young players to become part of your organization, what are the kind of characteristics you look for?
1: Well, what you do is you look for character. Um, you look for hockey sense. You look if, uh, to see if they truly, truly love the game. Uh, then you look to see if they understand and accept the responsibility to make those around them better. And the fifth one is do they perform the best when it matters the most? So when we're looking for young players, we look to see how they handle adversity. I love to see a player make a mistake on the ice in the first first shift of the game or something bad happened and see how he reacts to it. Because if he's got the proper character and the belief system and he's been, uh, I think, taught or uh, been in a positive environment, He's going to continue to play and not go into a shell and not make plays. You want people that want the puck on their stick at the end of the game when it matters. And, you know, when you're a kid and you're playing outdoors with your friends, there's no adults around or, uh, or coaches, that's just your, your natural instinct. So I think it's really important that coaches and parents um, kind of enable and support uh, that type of approach that, you know, things do happen. Now show what you're truly made of. And that is how you react to uh, a little bit of adversity.
2: You know, that, that seems like a really important message for athletes because I think when athletes are in a tryout situation, they feel like they can't make a mistake. And if they knew that uh, how they responded to a mistake could actually benefit them, that could, that could help them a lot.
1: Well, we try and share that with them up front. Is we don't expect anybody to be perfect. You know, that's not what, uh, what hockey is about, and it's, you know, very few sports are, are that way. Um, but if, if you know, and you have a belief system in yourself, I remember talking to Michael Jordan, once he'd missed, somebody asked him, he'd missed 11 baskets in a row. What did he think was going to happen on the next one? He says, I'm going to make that one He's not going to that <laughs> right. in my mind. And, and that's the type of, uh, approach that you really want. And, and kids are fearless. You know, they, uh, uh, they react sometimes to other people. If they think that, geez, you know, that's, uh, something bad has just happened. And, and how do I react to it? I think that the parents and the coaches, and inspire those teachable moments, and really instill uh, the ability for an athlete to flourish uh, in the face of adversity. Even though I always also feel that how you handle success sometimes is even tougher than how you handle failure.
2: Say a little more about that, because I think most people think, "Wow, if I'm successful, that's that's the end of the game."
1: Well, how you handle success sometimes, uh, um, if you become bigger than bigger than the team, you start feeling full of yourself. You lose the respect for the game. Uh, you might not be as humble and respectful as you should be. So, uh, we watch for players uh, that sometimes uh, believe their press clippings and uh, and go outside of the the, the team dynamic and, and how you handle success. Uh, that can reveal an awful lot about you too.
2: No, that's great. Um, another concept we talk about it in positive coaching alliance is the emotional tank that every kid, every person really, but every kid has an emotional tank. And when it's full, they can play their best. Um, when it's drained because they're yelled at all the time, et cetera, they don't play their best. I'm wondering, uh, what coaches in your career were were good at filling your emotional tank?
1: Well, I had a, a great coach, probably the winningest junior coach in, in hockey history, Mr. Brian Kilray. And he could be very firm, uh, you know, on how things needed to be done. But if a mistake happened, you know, he would... Um, wouldn't yell a lot but he could get his point across in a respectful way that um, we did respect his opinion so much we didn't want to let him down but he also knew when to pat us on the back and uh, he was hardest on us when things were going well and he was a little more compassionate and understanding when things weren't going well because he knew we cared and it's exactly like you say to be able to fill that emotional tank i have players that if they go home after the game and they obsess about the game and they worry about it and they think about it and Somebody's yelled at them and uh, their parents are being hard on them. That's more draining probably than them going and running a marathon. So they come back to the rink the next day drained and not ready to go back to work with a positive uh, approach the next day. So you always watch for that emotional tank. And for kids, I think it's even more important.
2: So there's some research that that indicates that an optimal ratio of tank fillers to tank drainers, or criticism, let me say, um, is about five to one, five positive tank fillers for every time you criticize a kid. And we actually call that the magic ratio because if you if a coach gets to that five to one ratio, magical things start to happen. From, from your experience, both in youth uh, sports and professional sports, that magic ratio five to one, what do you think of that in terms of uh, sports all the way through up to the professional level?
1: I think that's probably fairly accurate. I mean, uh, different players um, and different people react to different things, and that's where, to me, a coach has to be like a uh, a teacher and look in the classroom and look on his team and say, okay, this player responds to this and this and this and this, and this other player responds to this, this, and this. But I, I think it's um, um, there, there's a great... Story I think that was written many years ago, about the greatest athletes giving their greatest performance: Wilt Chamberlain getting 100 points, Bob Beeman breaking the long jump record by almost two feet, uh, uh, people you know breaking the 20 uh, 20 foot barrier in pole vaulting. And they asked him what they were thinking when they were performing, and they always said, "Well, I wasn't thinking about anything. I was just playing." And I think that's where sometimes the clutter comes from, uh, you know, the act of demotivating an athlete by yelling or or criticizing when that's not the time and place and that's not what's needed for that athlete at that time. And we always try to clear our players' minds. And if they're thinking, geez, you know, what's the coach thinking about me or who's going to yell at me next, instead of just playing and reading and reacting, it gets in the way of your best performance and probably the most enjoyment from your, from your activity or your sport.
2: Great. You know, the, the Sharks this year had a, just a great regular season. And I know you and, and uh, the team were disappointed in the playoffs Is it possible to really appreciate the great regular season you had, even though the playoffs didn't work out the way you wanted?
1: Well, you've got to take, you know, I always take time and I let the emotions uh, uh, diminish uh, before you make an honest evaluation of what happened. And There were some really good things that happened. You don't win the President's Trophy and get 117 points by smoke and mirrors. You have to have people that perform at a certain level uh, as a group. What disappointed us, and I think all of us equally, is that um, we didn't play up to our capabilities at the end of the year. And we had seven or eight players, key players that were injured and hurt, and, and that happens, and we played against a team that had a hot goalie and all that. Um, but you try and take uh, those moments and, and learn from them. And you can't be afraid of failure. You have to be saying, you know what, let's go and line up and let's just leave it on the ice. And that's the thing we've talked about is removing some of the clutter, not worrying about the expectations from external uh, sources, such as the media or, or whatever it may be, and just play the game the way you're capable of. I think in our our situation, we played against a team that had won a Stanley Cup two years ago, a uh, playoff-hardened team uh, that was playing really well the last 20 games of the year just to get into the playoffs, and, and they almost beat Detroit. So it was a very good team we were aware of. We just weren't humming on all cylinders, and uh, we have to use that now as an opportunity to to get better, become um, more mentally hardened and also understand that uh, you can't get in the way of yourself. You just got to line up and play.
2: You know, one of the five things you mentioned about <clears throat> you're looking for in young players is the love of the game. And, you know, you're talking about the regular season of the marathon. Um, it, it, I would guess it's, um, you know, it's, 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 hard sometimes for a hockey player when you get to the playoffs um, to really re- reconnect with how much they love to play hockey after a draining season.
1: Well, you know, in hockey, there's a difference between being hurt and being injured. I mean, I played 16 years, and I think I had surgery after 14 of those 16 years. So you've got to push through things, and uh, it comes down to, I use a term, a hockey rat or a gym rat, somebody that truly, truly loves the game, remembers where they came from, remembers why they play the game. Uh, Sometimes you see athletes where the pilot light has gone out a little bit, and their love for the game has kind of gone away. It um, doesn't make them a bad person. It just means that it's a really tough, tough game. The seasons are long. Um, you do have to push through, as I say, the, the injuries that, that come your way. But the guys that love the game the most, and if you get the uh, a group of them together, good things are going to happen because it's not always the most talented team. It's the team that truly understands we're 100% in, and we're going to do whatever it takes to win. Uh, it might not be pretty. It might be somebody blocking a shot. Um, somebody making a, a little play that can turn a game around. So the the dynamic of the respect for the teammates has often as much to do with success as the talent level.
2: Well, one of the other big ideas that positive coaching Alliance promotes is, is honoring the game. Um, and we talk about the roots of honoring the game, respect for your rules, respect for your opponents, the officials, your teammates and bottom line, respect for yourself. Um, you, can you think of examples when you were you're playing or, or recently as, as general manager where you've seen uh, teams or individuals who've really gone out of their way to honor the game?
1: Well, I, I'm very proud to be an NHL uh, uh, participant in this league, both as a player and now as a GM, because you'll watch a very uh, challenging playoff series where it may go seven games or they're fighting tooth and nail. And then one of the great traditions is after that game seven, Everybody lines up and shakes hands because in hockey, everybody understands nobody is bigger than the game. Our greatest players that ever played this game, the Gordy Howes, the Bobby Orr's, the Bobby Hulls, the Wayne Gretzky's, every one of them, as great as they are, understand that the game is bigger than them. So that's probably the the, the best moment I've ever, I, I see it every year, um, and I'm very proud of that. I've seen a couple of situations where a players got injured, um, and uh, it's impacted the guy that caused the injury uh, as much as, as the player that was injured. We had a player, uh, Curtis Foster, who played for Minnesota Wild, had a bad injury uh, in our building where he, he had a collision with Torrey Mitchell. Tory Mitchell was basically in tears knowing that both players were playing hard, but this guy got injured in a hockey play, and they both contacted each other after, and you know, we uh, kept in touch with Curtis during the whole process. But you know you don't ever want to see anybody get hurt in this business. And the respect that our players have for each other, uh, which I think is, uh, uh, is shown by the handshake after a game seven, but also where there's injuries that take place, how our, how our players handle it. So I, uh, I have great respect for everybody that's ever played the game of hockey, and uh, we like to see that go all the way down, see the young, young kids that play it watch that on TV and see how much our players truly do respect the game and each other.
2: You know, the, the media tends to focus on the negative things that happen. But you just gave us several examples, some really positive things. And, you know, thinking about uh, c- capturing those stories so you can share them with your players to to create teachable moments so they'll, they will play the way um, their heroes play. Seems like a really important part.
1: Well, I think it's tremendously important, you know, and I do look at it that, you know, people that are, have the privilege and, and uh, opportunity to play pro sports are a role model, whether they like it or not, to uh, kids that watch, to their own uh, children, to their own family members, nieces and nephews, et cetera. And I think honoring the game and how you respect and, and treat the game, how you prepare for it, uh, I think is very important. I mean, Positive Coaching Alliance, to me, is a very, very important organization, uh, has a great message. And I think the people that... Um, truly have gone on to be really successful in their sport and happy in their life have realized how much they've learned through sports, not just at the pro- professional level, but the people that took time to give us the experience of learning life skills from our, our minor hockey and our youth hockey and, and all the other sports that um, the kids play. And the best thing that my parents ever did, they made me play everything, or they, they didn't make me, they gave me the opportunity to play everything. And one of the wonderful moments was, you know, I was a pretty good hockey player but I wasn't really good in maybe one of the other sports. They'd make me go play that sport so that I would have the perspective from the other kids that might not be really good at something, but they're playing it because they love it. And that way you can become, a, I think, a good teammate and a good friend because you learn through shared experiences. And uh, I always look back, and I did a lot of, as I say, every sport and every activity, and my parents did it for a reason, and now I understand it and truly appreciate
2: it. You know, one of the the, the probably the most uh, prevalent question we get from parents when we do workshops around the country is the pressure that the parents feel from coaches and and just in general to specialize and play one sport year round. And I think your your uh, example there is really compelling argument to not specialize too early.
1: Well, you know, it's funny. Here we are as pro athletes, uh, cross-training. So here we are doing different sports and different uh, training methods to, to get better at our own sport. But I am a, a firm believer, and all my kids played many different sports, that I don't think they need to specialize at a young age. I think they need to experience not only other, other sports but other activities. Uh, it doesn't have to be just in sports. And I think you'll learn from that. And I think what happens, people pressure young people to commit to one sport for their benefit, not for kids. Uh, my, my daughter is a volleyball player, played in the NCAA for USC, was a great basketball player too. And uh, one of the schools said, well, you have to decide as a freshman you're going to play one sport or the other. And she says, well, no, I'm going to play both because I, I love them both. And you know, we had a, a couple of issues with one of the schools uh, about that. Uh, they relented. And we used an example of a, a young lady that played at Stanford that I think played in three different sports. Uh, I think it was uh, one of the Focal, uh, was it Christine Focal.
2: Kristen Focal, right.
1: So I always use that as an example. And I said, you know, if, if somebody can keep up their you know, their academics in a, a university like that and play three different sports, um, I'm not sure our young kids in uh, middle school or high school should be uh, um, forced into playing one sport. I, I'm a firm believer that playing many different sports and activities was uh, was a wonderful experience and growth for me.
2: So for, for your, your kids that, that played sports, um, how did you interact with them before a game and after a game?
1: Well, really simply. I made sure they had all their stuff, they were ready, and they're on time out of respect to the sport and their teammates. And uh, I was just there as a, as a parent. Um, uh, you know, it was their sport. I wanted them to be there because they wanted to be there, and it was uh, you know, their choice after the game. I was just there to hug them, support them, uh, through success or failure, and just watch the journey that they're on. Um, I was not a, an overly vocal parent. As a matter of fact, you know, there's some parents that would come to me and ask me for, uh, you know, my advice or what I thought, and I said, you know what, I just enjoyed the game, um, supported the coach, uh, and uh, you know, wanted to make sure that it was a, a safe, healthy environment for for others. Um, and I think that's parents sometimes get involved with the, the financial and the uh, the time commitment, and I, I think they're missing really what the, what the goal should be in sports because the, the percentage of them that are going to go on and get a scholarship or make a living in that sport is going to be very, uh, very small. But the experience of sports with their peer group, learning those life skills, that's what it's really all about.
2: It seems like a lot of parents kind of take over their kids' sports experience, and what I, I got from what you said about your kids is you left it in their hands. It's their experience, not yours.
1: Well, you know, we supported it as a family. You know, and all the other kids would go there and watch each other play and support them. Um, But it has to be their experience, and you know, it's wonderful to. You don't want to live your life through your kids. You want to be part of their lives and and meet their friends and and watch their experiences and all those things. Um, But I just found it was much more enjoyable for for them and for me uh, just to know that we were there supporting um, an activity that they wanted to do. And all we asked is they worked hard and. You know, committed to doing it, and we're on time, and um, we're good teammates, and understood that that they had to make it a good experience for everybody else that was there, and that's how I was raised, and uh, uh, it's worked for our family.
2: Great, you know, we we talk about responsible sports and responsible coaches who, who really have two goals. One is to win on the scoreboard because uh, we live in a competitive world, and kids need to learn to compete. But that second goal, that's even more important to use sports to teach life lessons. What what advice might you have to new youth coaches, or experienced youth coaches for that matter, who, who want to be responsible coaches and who want to be character educators?
1: Well, I think they need to think back to who impacted their lives growing up, and I think they have to truly understand uh, that kids are watching, and kids really, really learn and absorb how a coach uh, teaches, how a coach handles pressure, uh, the language that they use, and what it is they're trying to accomplish. And it's... Uh, uh, it's not easy, um, and you know sometimes parents uh, <laughs> thinking they're doing the right thing can undermine a coach. I mean, there's a time and place to talk to a coach and 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 listen to a coach. Uh, there's a time to understand prior to the season, you know what the goals are for the year and and what the guidelines are on, on the development aspect and where the team's going to get to. You know, communication is the key in life. Uh, how you communicate. Um, if your kids seeing you communicating in a negative way or in a very loud vocal way, uh, it's going to impact them. And, uh, and you try and I've always tried to live my life looking it through other people's eyes, saying, "Okay, now I might be saying this, but what is it they're hearing?" And uh, and kids are like sponges, and, uh, and they look to see how their parents, they look to see how their coaches uh, um, handle situations. And I and I think with that responsibility. Um, it's something that both parents and coaches truly have to understand. And it's uh, it's not easy uh, when it's your own child. Uh, You know, the emotions can sometimes uh, get very heightened, but you have to take a deep breath and say, you know what, Um, you are like a teacher to your child. Uh, A parent is that and and a coach is that. And and you want to use that opportunity and, and act in a, uh, an adult manner that can really help your kids because it can also be very negative if it's uh, done in a negative way.
2: One, one of the things we promote with high school athletes is uh, a teachable spirit. <clears throat> you know, your coach may be giving you feedback in a way that's not really positive, but can you, can you grab out of that? What can, uh, can help you get better? What, what advice do you have for kids in terms of them communicating to their own coaches uh, approaching them to ask questions, or you know, maybe they want to play more or play a different position. Any advice on on athletes on communicating with the coach?
1: Well, I found you know respect is a two-way street, and picking the time and place, setting a time, and, and sometimes away from the group, um, you know, the group dynamic, and saying you know what, um, what can I do better? Uh, you know, and just getting to that point of having an open discussion, and I and I think. That's one of the life skills that young people have to have is the ability to talk to their coach and uh, or listen to their coach. And, and and a good coach will listen also. And if you can find a solution and say, "You know what, here's some things I want to work on and I want to get better, and um, you know if I can do that, uh, you know the results will take care of themselves. and And that's what really youth sports are all about. And even professional sports is you know the developmental aspect of it to heighten a, a player's game. There was a great story about Terry Francona uh, with the Red Sox, where when he was playing, his uh, coach, I think, would always pull him out the 7th, 8th, or ninth inning because he just wasn't uh, comfortable, I think, with his defensive game. And, you know, he would always get upset by that. But his coach, the very next day, would always be there to hit balls at him to help him get better. So it was, yes, I've got to do what's right for the team, but tomorrow we're going to work on something to get you better, so maybe in the future you can handle that situation and Terry Francona talked about, that was great coaching. He did what was right for the team, but then took time to help that individual grow as a as a person and as a, as a player. And that one stuck with me. I thought that was pretty
2: impressive. That's a, that's a pretty inspiring story. Yeah. Because I think, you know, but athletes and, and parents especially, they're so focused on their own kid that they forget that the coach is trying to balance playing time and the objectives for the whole team. And you know, that, that's a, a great story. Thank you.
1: Well, I think if you can, you know, coaches, you know, can be verbal and, and sometimes get emotional and, and critique a player. It's one thing to critique them. And then it's going to say, well, tomorrow we're going to work on getting you better at it. So it's, uh, you know, there's a solution involved in the process.
2: Yeah, that's great. From a, from a parent standpoint, talking about communication again, let's say a parent is concerned, about something a coach is doing what's the best way for them to approach that coach
1: well i've always felt that uh it is in a uh, again a respectful way um take the emotions out of it right after a game is usually the worst time when emotions are high and there's other sets of eyes around there it's to say you know is there a chance we can talk uh you know when it's an appropriate time and, and set a time to do it and uh I think when you understand before the season starts what the expectations are, what the guidelines or rules are going to be, uh, that's a very important meeting. But then I think during the year, I think the communication of saying, you know, let's just have a review and you know, how's you know my son or daughter doing, uh, other things that we can do to help. Um, if the coach thinks that you're supporting what they're trying to do, I think they're going to be um, much more open and, and respectful to it. Um, but if you're critiquing or undermining, uh, I think that's counterproductive for the coach, for the parent, and for the child. So that would be my recommendation: is to find a time and place, and maybe you set up a, uh, you know, a quarterly review. You know, the season set up, whatever the time frame of the season, and so, you know, say, "Let's is there a chance we can talk in a month or so?" So you've already got something scheduled, uh, just getting together for a cup of coffee or something, but away from the uh, the court or the rink or the field. Uh, so it's not a um, contentious type of environment.
2: And if the, if the parent has been supportive of the coach before, as you say, then that makes that harder conversation easier to have.
1: It usually is. You know, and as I say, if you can somehow neutralize the emotions, and uh, as I say, before a game or after a game is usually not the right time um, because the coach's responsibility is to the group. Um, but his, his responsibility, much like a teacher in a classroom, is to have each individual student grow and develop also.
2: Yep. So, what about uh, what about parents whose kids are moving up from the recreational uh, game to the much more competitive? Uh, any advice for them to handle that transition?
1: Well, you know, it, it's funny. Um, I sat on the board of the Canadian Hockey Association, and it was uh, we changed it several years ago, where it was set and primed to benefit the elite level player instead of the majority of players. And I've always felt that uh the game is there for the majority of people and everybody should be able to play it for as long as they want and uh find the level that they're at the elite level players um, you know it's uh it gets very competitive and then their goals whether it be to get a uh, you know college scholarship or try and uh, play professionally it gets very difficult but i think the love for the game and the respect for the game and uh the integrity that you maintain in that pursuit of journey is crucial because even if they go on to be a successful college athlete or a pro athlete, the journey and the skills that they've learned in that pursuit is going to be much more important when they finish playing, because the type of person they end up being um, will be formed during that pursuit.
2: You know, it just just made me think of the movie Bull Durham, where uh, Crash Davis, the Kevin Costner character, is is talking to the, uh, Nuke Lelouch, the pitcher, and he says, you know, you don't respect me, and, but that's okay, but you don't respect the game, and that I can't accept.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, and hockey is uh, specifically that way. Nobody is bigger than the game. You have to give back to the game. Um, in hockey, nobody's bigger than the team, and uh, and that's one, one thing I love about our game is that uh, when you see kids play it, everybody has to play offense and defense. You have to be respectful of your teammates. You have to do things to have them be successful. And it's uh, um, you know it's something growing up from when I was a you know a peewee player to a bantam player to a junior to, to pro is that it never really changed. And uh, to be successful in, in the NHL, um, you've got to respect your teammates, respect the game, not cut corners. And those are pretty good skills to uh, apply in, in all of your life.
2: Yeah. Doug, um, any other things, this has been f- been fantastic, thank you, any other things you'd like to say or questions I should have asked you?
1: Not really, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, It's uh, I'm a product of experiential learning, and I've been around wonderful people, uh, coaches and uh, uh, teammates and, and my brother and people that have shared their time with me, and, uh, and I do think that that's what's great about sports is even when you finish playing, you know, if you go into coaching, youth coaching or your kids play or whatever, it's a way to give back to the sport. Um, and I think that does transfer over into how you live your life and, and the joy and happiness you have in your, not only your athletic life, but your your everyday life. And uh, I thank you for giving me the opportunity to just share some of the things uh, that people shared with me when, when I was growing up.
2: Well, I really appreciate that, and I really appreciate your uh, support for the Positive Coaching Alliance movement. Uh, it's an honor to have you involved with us.
1: Well, I, I think it's a great honor because it's, Uh, It's right on track, and it's exactly what is needed. And I think um, the more people that get involved with the Alliance, the more that they will understand that uh, it's for the right reason and really does uh, help our kids.
2: Great. Doug, thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Jim. Thank you for listening to this Doug Wilson episode of Liberty Mutual's Responsible Sports Podcast. To learn more about responsible sports or to download valuable tools on how to teach and practice the principles of the Elm Tree of Mastery, visit www.responsiblesports.com. There you will find both responsible coaching and responsible sports parenting online courses, and you can visit the Resource Center to download teaching and coaching tools. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music. www.apmmusic.com.